Okay, thank you so much. Today we're going to continue our study of the fruit of the Spirit. Attributes of believers, the portrait of Christ, how you and I are supposed to be in Christ. Two weeks ago, love. Last week, Mitch led you in joy. And today we're going to talk about peace. A few weeks ago, we looked at verse 16 of Galatians 5. And that version, it said to walk in the Spirit. This is how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And so if you're led by the Spirit, if you're daily walking in the Spirit, we'll have peace because we haven't messed up our own lives. Sometimes we're our biggest enemies, aren't we? Let me give you a few examples. I'm not worried that I'm going to get pulled over for a DUI. I'm not worried about that. I'm not going to drink and drive. So I have peace about that. I'm not worried that I'm going to overdose on heroin. It's not going to happen. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried that my marriage is in trouble. I'm not worried about that. Am I? No, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried that I'm headed for hell. I'm not worried about hell. I have peace about that. And so one of the reasons that peace is the fruit of the Spirit, it's because you're living in such a way that you're avoiding the evils that much of the world are involved in. But that's not the direction we're going in today. But it needs to be said. I wrote this message on vacation at the beach overlooking the Atlantic Ocean full of shrimp. It is easy to be at peace on vacation, isn't it? Something about the waves, something about your phone being off. It, it's a brief time out from the real world. You unplug, you sleep, and you eat, and you relax. Ice cream every day. Peace is easily found at a time like that. It really is. But at other times, in the trenches, and you know what I'm talking about, it can be tough. Life can be hard. Our peace is often under attack. And a day starts out well and then whammo, something happens. I thought of this video as a perfect example of how a day can start out okay and then, oh, my, you're in for a ride you didn't sign up for. Here we go. We lost more age on me, some wrinkles, a little jerky, maybe some facial hair. There's somebody that I can pull off a fun friend's wedding band. Let's go have some fun. My good friends at Pepsi Max have hooked us up with this cool cam cam. So these are the glasses cam to show you everything that I see. How you doing? Hello. I'm Mike. Hey, nice to meet you, Mike. So you sort of gravitate towards the Camaro. You think you might get one? Oh, oh no, no, no. This is just way too much power for me. I'm, well, it's a lot of power, but they designed it to be very safe. I don't know if I can handle it. I, I've never driven anything like this before. Well, I, I tell you what, I think a way to really make you feel comfortable would be to put you behind the wheel. You're good. <laughs> Are you okay, sir? Thank you, Steve. Uh, you'll have to unlock the mic. Oh, thank you. There we go. Oh, yeah. What a car! Mm -hmm. Oh, we better buckle up. Yeah, good call. Uh, 
And so he continued to dig. He told them, I need to know if my boy is alive or dead. So I'll dig. Eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, he moved rubble. And then in the 38th hour, he heard voices. And he screamed his son's name, Armand. And a child's voice responded, Daddy, it's me. And he said, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, you'd save me. And that when you saved me, you'd save them too. You promised you'd always be there for me, Dad. And you did. So moments later, Dad was hugging his son, Armand, and 13 other frightened boys and girls. They had been in a little pocket that kind of formed a tent during the earthquake. And if people had given up, they'd have died there in the tomb. The townspeople praised Armand's father. And all he said was, you know, I promised my son, no matter what, I'll be there for you. Hasn't our father promised us the same? And he has more resources than Armand's father. And more determination. I thought this story the perfect example for peace. It's a story about turmoil and about trouble. You may recall that the third chapter of Daniel begins with a statue built to King Nebuchadnezzar. The statue is 90 feet tall. And his followers made a rule that everybody should bow down and worship the statue. And you knew that these three Hebrew boys that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names. I like to refer to them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're Hebrew names. They wouldn't bow down. And so there's trouble. We pick up at verse 14 of Daniel 3, the familiar story. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you're raised, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the musical ensemble, when you're ready to fall down and worship the statue that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, even if he won't, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against the three that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than customary. Ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To throw them in the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because of the king's command was urgent, and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and rose up quickly, and he said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? And they answered, True, O okay. king. He replied, But I see four men 
unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the forest has an appearance of God. Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace with blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together, saw the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, not even the smell of fire came. These three trusted in their drivers, and they were okay. We should always. I love the peace that they had, and I'm always astounded at what they said in verses 17 and 18. If our God that we serve is able to deliver us, and they believe He was, and He did, from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, let Him deliver us. And then verse 18 is fabulous. But if not, if He chooses not to, if this gets us, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods, we will not worship the golden statue that you set up. Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah trusted their God. And my hobby came through. He got right there with him. The way he does with us. Nebuchadnezzar put it this way in verses 24 and 25. He said to his counselors, Was, was it not three men that were bound into the fire? But I see four men. Unbound, walking in the middle of the fire. They're not heard. And the fourth has an appearance of a God. And we know it was. God with them. And we likely all have our stories. God being with us. Tough, tough times. I love the truth found in Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mitchell, and Ezra had perfect peace. I love that, that verse. What it really says in the original language is shalom, shalom, double shalom. Shalom, you hear a Jewish greeting at times. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of discord. And it's double. It is double. Perfect peace. That's what you and I should have, no matter what. I had friends on a cruise several years ago, uh, 20 years ago, and it was a miserable experience for them. Once they got out to sea, something on the ship broke, and it was called a stabilizer. Now, I don't know what a stabilizer is on a big ship, but it sounds important to me. And the stabilizer goes out on the ship and they are tossed about until they can get back home and it was miserable. Our perfect peace should stabilize our lives. And there are too many examples of people whose stabilizers have broken or they don't have one. Five years ago, I did a funeral of two separate funerals of teenagers. One was in a wreck and one was an overdose. The father of the boy in the wreck was not a believer. 
and he was distraught, as you can imagine. He had no peace. He didn't want to talk about God. And he became bitter and consumed with rage. It grew and grew and festered and festered. And finally, he barricaded himself in his home and threatened people and got a gun and shot at people, including the police that had responded. He was sentenced this week to 41 years in prison. He had no peace, which was available to him. But because of that, he'll spend the rest of his natural life behind bars. As for the young men who overdosed five years ago, I saw the obituary for his mother last week. She overdosed as well. Five years later. No peace in her life. And because of that, trying to seek some kind of relief, she saw it in the wrong place. This world does not offer the peace that our Heavenly Father offers to us. And we see people try to deal with it in all sorts, deal with problems in all sorts of ways. And yet, we're offered perfect peace. God gives it. To his children. Right before Jesus headed to the cross, look what he said in John 14, verses 26 and 27. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he'll teach you everything and he'll remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift which the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. That's the New Living Translation. Let me read you another version that you probably know better. Peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. On our prayer list is a teenage boy named Josh McIntosh. Jeannie and I went to college with Josh's mother. Peggy. I'm not really online, but Jeannie follows some postings online about Josh that his mother puts. And this has been the process of at least a year now. The treatments, the remission, thank God now. And now Josh, is, his goal is trying to gain weight. He's at 110 pounds now. He's moving in the right direction. But along every post that Peggy would put about her son, whether it was the post about him being in remission recently, or the post about him being diagnosed a year ago, or the post about all of his treatments and how sick he became and how touch and go it was, Peggy ended every one of her posts with these three words. God's got this. God's got this. Isn't that great? Whatever you're in the middle of, That's worth its weight to go. You want peace in your life. Whatever you're in the middle of, you know. God's got this. There's some words to live by. Let's pray to God.